Romans chapter 11 this morning. Romans chapter number 11. And we'll be uh, dealing with the subject today of the elect shall surely be saved. The elect shall surely be saved. As we think about that subject and that topic this morning, let me just give you a few introductory thoughts before we look in our text in Romans 11 verses 25 through 36. Uh, When the Lord gives a gift, it is an irrevocable gift. Uh, Our Lord does not give gifts and then remove them, does not take them back. And in the same sense, when the Lord places His redeeming call, His sovereign election on someone, it is a final uh, gift. It is a sovereign election. Uh, He does not take it back. Uh, We also uh, know that the greatest gift that we've ever received is, of course, the gift of God's grace, and we've received that freely. Uh, The gift of His mercy, uh, the gift of His long-suffering. To even have the acknowledgement and the knowledge to know that we have been accepted in the Beloved. That we can read passages like our Scripture reading in 1 John 2, and we can know that the truth is in us. Uh, We can know uh, if we we are a denier of the Lord. We can know if we are one of His. Now, we understand that once we've been adopted into the family of God, there is no circumstance in which we can do, there is no change in which God will make that He will revoke that sovereign gift. Uh, Even when we disobey, uh, even when we displease the Lord, and even when we do those things, we find the love of God being poured out on us by His chastening correction of us. Uh, Don't ever view God's chastening as a punishment, but rather God's chastening is a gift. It is the Father who loves His children who chastens His children. Uh, An earthly parent who does not correct their children, uh, you are not demonstrating love to them. Uh, You're actually showing the exact opposite of them. Uh, To buy into the philosophy of the world that simply says, let children be children, they don't need to be corrected, let them make their own choices, they will certainly do that, and uh, they'll make the wrong choices. Uh, The chasing of the Lord is also a gift. But in the same manner uh, that God did not just make promises to you and I, He made promises to the Bible characters that we are so familiar with. We're familiar with Abraham. We're familiar with Isaac. uh, We're familiar with Jacob. He called them and he gave them gifts. And those were not to be revoked either. And those covenants in which were given to those men and were promised under those covenants, those covenants today are still in effect. God has not revoked them. And so we can certainly say that the sovereign election of God is always final. Uh, Now, we've been looking in this text in Romans 11 about the blindness of the Jews and how God is using the blindness of the Jews uh, to to call Gentiles unto Himself. And we've learned through our uh, six-week study up to this point regarding Romans chapter 11 that the blindness of the Jews is not full and final. In other words, the Israel is not going to be, all Israel is not going to be blind. Uh, there are elect in the nation of Israel. 
Uh, now, I know it's become a popular way of thinking over the years, and, sa- and I think this is very sad. Uh, people take one of two opinions. They either take the opinions that the elect only refers to Israel or the elect only refers to the Gentiles. I believe the elect refers to the elect Jews and the elect Gentiles that ultimately are going to make up and do make up the body of Christ. Just like every Gentile is not of the elect. Now, there's no scriptural way you can prove that all Gentiles are of the elect, and you certainly can't prove that all the Jews are the elect. But there are those who will surely be saved. And that is really the subject of what we're dealing with this morning. And so we've learned that uh, even the prophets um, proclaimed that there is a time when the nation of Israel uh, would be blinded. But then the Bible also teaches there's coming a day when they will effectually embrace what they are right now are refusing. And that is the refusal to acknowledge Christ as the Messiah. So we deal today with this principle or this, this declaration of truth that the elect shall surely be saved. If you look with me at Romans 11 and look at verse 25, as the Apostle Paul continues through uh, this letter to the church at Rome, uh, Paul, as he often does, he uses this type of these expressions in other of his epistles. He says in verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Uh, Paul very clearly says, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to think that this is not of utmost importance, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Uh, Paul speaks to the human nature of man. Uh, that if uh, we are ignorant of truths, we will begin to uh, devise in our own minds and our own heart uh, based upon our own conceits. In other words, what fills us with the most sense of satisfaction? What fills us with the most sense of pride? If we are ignorant, uh, we will be filled, puffed up with our own conceits. And Paul then clearly declares it again that the blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So very clearly here from this passage, we can see that ultimately that the Jews, there will be Jews who will be converted to faith in Christ. Not faith in being a Jew, not faith in being of Israel, but faith in Christ. There has always only been one object of faith, and that's Christ himself. Israel is not saved because it's of Israel. Paul has proven that throughout uh, Romans chapter 11. But it is also true that when we read this passage, let's go on and look at verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. Uh, There have been great numbers of people we would consider biblical theologians who have struggled with that phrase, and so all Israel shall be saved, just like we use in other passages. All is not meaning universally. Um, All may be in a particular people group. It may be in a particular uh, uh, individuals that we're speaking, or as a nation. And so uh, he says, all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. 
Now, there are, uh, this passage is, is uh, definitely obscure. There are, there are phrases, there are words, there are expressions uh, that, again, great theologians and pastors and people who I truly would say uh, they are believers, they have placed their faith in Christ, uh, look at this passage, and there are things that we struggle to come up with a, uh, a definitive dogmatic answer. But the Apostle Paul here, I believe, is teaching that there are Jews now who are fallen. They are those who right now, they have been blinded. Uh, They will ultimately be converted. They will ultimately be saved at the point when the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, herein lies part of the mysteries. There is no way for you and I to know when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. We do not know when the fullness of all the elect of the Gentiles will come in. Now, we can look at Scripture, and we can try to determine prophecy. Uh, We can try to put dates on things. But here's what we know certainly about this subject, that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, there will be a reawakening. There will be an opening of the eyes of the Jews, and those Jews, the elect Jews that have fallen, will certainly come to faith. Uh, They are not going to remain outside of Christ forever. Again, this is one of the great mysteries. So that leads Paul to say, so all Israel shall be saved, for this is my covenant when I shall take away their sins. Remember, the Old Testament law was never intended, nor could it ever take away sin. All the Old Testament law did was increase our guilt. All it did was continue to show us how much we need a Savior, how much we need a Redeemer. Because the law couldn't save us. The law couldn't save the Jews. The law could not save anyone just by simply keeping it or their attempt to keep it. So the power of man could never take away what Paul is saying there at the end of those verses. It could never take away sins, verse 27. But he says, this is my covenant It is he who will come as a result of the covenant that will take away the sins, and that is Christ himself. The covenants were meant to point man to Christ, not just the Gentiles, but to point even the Jews to Christ. To say that there's one way of salvation for Israel and there's another way of salvation for the Gentiles is to corrupt the text. There's not two ways of salvation. There's only one way of salvation, and it's through Christ. Now, we realize uh, that throughout the ages, of course, Christ has not always been in human form the way we see him in the New Testament and the way we refer to him. But it's always been about faith in something or someone other than the law. The New Testament, right, is what reveals to us that it is only through the grace of God by faith in Christ that takes away sin. So we see that that's what Paul is trying to establish here. Now in verse 28, he says, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Now, again, an obscure passage. With regard to the gospel, they're enemies. But for touching election, they're beloved. How can one people group be called an enemy on the one hand and be called a beloved on the other hand and be the same people. 
That's exactly what's happening. He is very clearly declaring here that the whole purpose of this passage is to incite the people to repentance. We have to bear in mind that what's happening here is very clearly that Paul is declaring what God's purposes in carrying out the election are. Now, verse 29 really gives us clarification for what verses 28 and the previous verses mean. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means the gifts that God gives and the calling of God, he never regrets them. God does not repent of wrong actions. God does not regret a decision. God does not rethink a choice. He does not say, I wonder if those covenants that I gave to Abraham, I wonder if it was complete. I wonder if there's something else I should have included. God's calling and God's gifts are without repentance. The entire desire of God is that man would be brought to repentance. Now we have to keep in mind that these statements and what Paul has been saying throughout chapter number 11 is keeping in mind that even though there are some today who are what we have to refer to as being cast off, we've learned in the context that they are still part of the lump. And even though the lump that we've talked about and how being grafted in, we have to keep in mind that the, the lump, even though there are some that are cast away, it has to be honored because of God's elect. Uh, we might look today, we might say, what a wicked, vile world we live in. But you, re you recall and remember this, that even within the most wicked of societies, there are those of God's elect who dwell there. They're part of the whole. Uh, we could look at a country, and, we, and we're very, we, are, we are very cynical people. And in some cases, we, we probably should be cynical. But we look at a nation and we say, you know what, that whole nation just needs to be blasted off the map because there's not a single good thing there. I'm going to tell you right now, there's elect from every nation. There's elect from every corner of the earth. And even the most wicked of nations, God has his people in those nations. So we should not discard a particular people group because right now they appear to be cast away. That's what Paul is saying. Do not do this with Israel. Do not use Israel as our, uh, a place to point fingers and say, look what happened to Israel and look how gloriously blessed we are as the Gentiles. God is not going to cast away the whole lump. And he will surely save his elect again when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So the Jews... And back in that verse, they are enemies for your sake, but touching the election, they are beloved for, for, his, or for the Father's sake. Uh, remember, uh, the Jews are both fullness and empty. He calls them a lump, not as speaking of individual persons, but of the whole entirety of people. Okay? The whole entirety of people would be an example like saying the United States is a Christian nation. That doesn't mean every American citizen is a Christian. Just like it doesn't mean that all of Israel, ultimately, every single individual is going to be saved, but that the lump, the elect within that nation, there are God's people. No matter how cruel and vicious the United States of America gets, God will always have his elect in this country. 
There will always be God's people. Just like there are people who right now in the nation of Israel, they may be blinded. Right now they may seem to be cast away, but we should not toss out Israel as if God has now changed his plans. Uh, we don't have the gospel without Israel. We don't have, we don't have the, 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 the grace and faith and the knowledge of the law without Israel. Uh, we do not cast Israel out. But yet there is this mystery about how can they be the enemies, but also can they be the beloved? That's exactly what he's dealing with here. Uh, the word enemies here, uh, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not a, uh, a language scholar. I've never claimed to be. This is just doing research from originals. And the word enemies here, almost unanimously by people who do know the languages, say that the word enemies here has to be taken in a passive sense. And what that means is, is that it's in a passive sense. That means they deserve to be hated, right? They deserve to be hated. God, again, this is the, where our own conceits begin to rise up. God hates them so that they are hated by the apostles and all who are of God. Okay, now what's, we're given the opposite term, which is beloved. So what Paul is saying here is that these same people, they are hated and at the same time beloved. They're hated concerning the gospel. That's what he says. Why are they hated concerning the gospel? Simply Paul means this, as you are loved for receiving the gospel, so they are hated for rejecting the gospel. But keep in mind, nevertheless, the lump, right? The number of the elect is beloved for the father's sake as touching the election. This means that some of them, because of their election until this very hour, are being saved. So even within that which appears to be cast away, rejected, God is saving Jewish people. And He will continue to do so. He'll continue to do so, and there will be coming a time when the fullness of the Gentiles will fully be understood and will fully be brought in. So why is any man beloved? They are beloved simply for the Father's sake. Okay, they're beloved for the Father's sake because now they have been brought into Christ. They are now part of the body of Christ. Again, go back to the concepts of what Paul is talking about here. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That is a statement that declares not only God's counsel, but clearly declares God's counsel of election and salvation. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance repentance. His gifts, his calling is not altered by man's merit or man's demerit. Man can't do anything positive to alter it, and he can't do anything negative to alter it. In other words, God's gifts and callings are without repentance. God doesn't say, I made a mistake, but rather God never regrets his gifts. Why? He's promised them. Folks, most of our problem as Christians, when we struggle in our faith, is because we don't fully 
trust the promises of God. Why I trust God is because of His promises, not because of my circumstances, not because of my situation. Your circumstances are going to bring you to a place where it might even bring you to question, is God really good? But the reality is, is God Himself made covenants. He made promises. And here's what you do not have to know, every intricate detail of everything in the Word to believe the promises of God. Although we should be pressing towards that mark. We should be pressing to know as much about God as we possibly can. But I don't believe God because you tell me to believe God. I believe God because of His promises and He is a God who cannot lie. And if God cannot lie, then I can trust Him. No matter how sincere you are, no matter how sincere I am to you, I am capable and have broken promises before. God's never broken one. God's never chosen to save someone and then say, I've changed my mind. You know, I saved you on the premise that you would do everything right and seeing how you just aren't doing right, I think I'll undo my calling of you. He's never done that once. Because his calling is based upon his covenant. It's based upon his promises. When he told Abraham to go out and look up in the sky and look at the stars and try to count them, he said, that's the number of your seed. You can't, you can't even number the, just the seed of Abraham. Not, nevertheless, can you number the amount of God's people and the God's elect? You're never going to be able to do that. But he's not going to go back on his promises. The elect are not elect because they are worthy. They are elect because he is worthy. You're not worthy in your own eyes. I'm not worthy in my own eyes. If I truly understand God's gifts and God's calling, I'm never going to look at myself and say, I am worthy to be one of God's elect. So what does Paul mean? He means the elect will surely be converted and will come to the true faith. That's salvation without works. Not salvation with some works, not salvation with works that are dependent upon what we do, but rather God's gifts are without repentance. Now Paul says in verse 30, for as in, in as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Now the there refers to the Jews. Verse 31, even so have these, that's Jews, also now not believe that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Remember, Paul is going back and forth with this and he's saying they've been blinded so that the Gentiles might see. The Gentiles now, for their choice, are now to call those Jews back to belief that he might have mercy on all. So the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Verses 25 through 29, second heading, the unsearchable riches of God is the wisdom of God. Uh, don't ever be afraid to come to a place in your life when there are things about God that are unsearchable. We just don't know. Paul says, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable 
are His judgments and His ways past finding out. I came across this quote from John Newton this week. It says that the riches of Christ are unsearchable and inexhaustible. If millions of millions of distressed sinners seek to Him for relief, He has sufficiency for them all. Paul exclaims the depth of the riches. This exclamation of Paul is to remind us of the fact that in all of these conclusions, verses 25 through verse 32, and even going all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11, there are still things that are still hidden and too deep for us to understand. There's just no way we're fully going to understand them. And I know in our thirst for knowledge, our thirst for thinking we must know it all, there are those things that are still hidden from us. Again, look back at verse 25. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I would warn you about being dogmatic about when that is. Or, verse 31, that they also may obtain mercy. Verse 32, that He might have mercy upon all. These are conclusions that are deep. These are conclusions that are hard to come to an understanding of what He means. Because these sentences suggest to us that God, even in His sovereignty, He permits evil to take place in order that good and His purposes come about as a result of it. When someone says, why is there so much evil in the world? Why doesn't God do something? Because you need to keep in mind that even God's permission of evil, His good is coming forth out of it. Even through the unbelief of the Jews, good is coming out of it. This is why Paul says that these riches are unsearchable. God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Uh, I've quoted that verse to people before and, and said His ways are past finding out. And they say, yes, but... Uh, look, this is what the Scripture says. Unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. His decrees, His plans, and His divine nature is past us being able to find it out totally. Again, no matter how educated we become, we need to remember there are things we do not understand about God. It is a foolish man who seeks to know things that are unsearchable. Things that are unknown. The correct distinction is really shown in what Paul says. He says the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. There is a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is pertaining to the contemplation of eternal things. Okay, so when we talk about wisdom, it's based upon our contemplation of eternal things. It's based upon ways that are unsearchable. But when we talk about knowledge, knowledge is based upon the study of temporal things. Okay? So things that are uh, of God's knowledge and of God's wisdom, we can neither see them or understand them except through faith. And that's what Paul has in mind here as he finishes this particular chapter. He says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Verses 34, 35, and 36 
This final heading really is a doxology of sorts. It's a doxology of glory. It's the glory that is due unto God. Paul very clearly says that this knowledge and this wisdom is something that is, in its entirety, something that is unsearchable. It is God's wisdom which views things in perfection. You realize what God saw, God saw it before it was ever created. We only see what's created. God saw it before it was created. Your election was before your creation. Your mind is never going to be able to grasp that in its entirety. You were saved before the foundation of the world. You were saved before the world was even created. You were saved before Genesis 1. How can that be? How can we now, as Paul says in Ephesians and even in Colossians, how can we be seated in heavenly places with Him right now, but yet be here? Those are mysteries. Those are things that are not acquired by knowledge. They are things that are eternal wisdom. It is God's wisdom which views all things before their existence. He views them above their existence and He views them in their existence. Right? God has perfect knowledge. He has perfect wisdom. What does that mean about a sovereign God? It means that God knows all things even outside of Himself. Now think about that for a minute. How can someone know all things outside of themselves? And yet that's exactly what God knows. There's no doubt that probably one of the most controversial and most argued principles is what Revelation or Romans 11 has been about. It's been about God's election. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is to get the glory alone. It is to His glory. He is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise and all of our adoration. His works, His knowledge, His wisdom. We're not to take any glory for ourselves. We're only to give glory unto God. In this ending of this doxology, Paul really says in verse 35, he says, not only who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor, which we know that no man is worthy to give God counsel of any sort, or who hath first given to Him and it shall be recompensed unto Him again. And here's the conclusion. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Of Him, through Him, and to Him. Everything has its origin in God, including your salvation. Again, some of our denominational friends, even in Baptist circles, will agree with you on the sovereignty of God up to that final point. I agree God is sovereign in all things except salvation. God is either sovereign in all, or He isn't sovereign at all. You cannot cut God off, pardon the expression, cut God off at the knees and say, God, you can be sovereign in everything except salvation because that's got to be left to man's choice. No, all things are unto the glory 
and honor and praise of God. So as we conclude this chapter, I hope we do see the beauty of not only Christ, but the beauty of the doctrine of election, but even this great promise based upon the promises and covenants of God that the elect shall surely be saved. Let's conclude by singing the hymn, familiar hymn. We all know the hymn, can probably sing it without our hymn books today. But let's stand and sing together, To God Be the Glory, hymn number 19.